Welcome to the Prime Effect Podcast. I'm your host, David Shillington. In this podcast, we'll be normalizing the conversation around mental health and we'll be interviewing elite athletes, some of Australia's admired sporting stars, and finding out what strategies they use to overcome setbacks in their life and what we can learn out of that to use in our life and equip you with some worthwhile strategies that are proven to boost your mood, motivation, energy, all things we call mental fitness to help us feel our best and perform our best. Enjoy the show. G'day everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Prime Effect Podcast. I have a very, very special guest today, James Whitaker, and we're just talking off air. James lives in America, but he's over here back in Australia for a short period of time visiting family and friends, which he has a huge amount of family and friends. James, welcome to the episode. How's the jet lag, the busyness of the schedule going for you? Hey, Dave, thanks so much for having me, first of all. My first time traveling without kids for a little while, so I was able to sleep for nine and a half hours on the plane. So I didn't have any jet lag at all with this experience. So I feel like I've transitioned back to Brisbane life effortlessly. Uh, nice. Well, it's a real thrill to have you on the episode. As a former athlete, the concept of winning and losing, like that was an everyday conversation for us. An important thing to note that is if we lost, then there'd be a big assessment of that. What went wrong? What could we have done better? Small course corrections or, or mass changes. But also if we won, we'd also do a big assessment because you've got to learn, well, why did we win? What did we do right to keep doing right? And do we still make some small course corrections anyway so that we keep winning? Today, we're not going to be talking about winning in sport. We're going to be talking about winning the day and winning in life in general. And that's what you're really skilled at. We welcome you as a three-time best-selling author, award-winning entrepreneur, and also the host of a very, very popular Win the Day podcast. Congratulations on all your success. I'd love to get some insight about what you do deliberately day-to-day to win the day. And then throughout the rest of the podcast, we can talk about some other broader strategies that potentially our listeners can implement as well. So James, how do you win the day? Yeah, great question. So for me, and I think the routine that every single person have, I think it's very personal and I think it evolves as you go through different stages of life. As you become a parent, for example, or if you're traveling, some of these things need to evolve. And I think that's a really good thing. You spoke a little bit there about auditing your effectiveness in terms of failure and success. And I think it's really important to do that especially when it comes to your commitment to a set of actions each day. So for me, the very first thing is waking up and it's what I call the acknowledgement. So it's recognizing that you are faced with the first binary decision of the hundreds of decisions you'll get that day. And that's to make the decision to win or you've automatically made the decision to lose. So that's very, very important is to recognize that if you don't do that, then by default, you're going to lose the day, which is where distraction, procrastination and all that kicks in. So once I've made that acknowledgement, then that decision, I then go into what I call the sacrifice phase, which is doing something hard that you don't want to do. That for me is the cold shower. Do you do cold showers at all? I do do them. I don't do them every morning, but I try and save them for the special occasions a bit more. And uh, coincidentally, last night, I had a bit of a rough sleep. I was actually nervous about this podcast and a couple of other things we've got going on. So this morning, I did have a cold shower just to really wake me up and and get those batteries charged, ready to go. Yeah, it's great for energy, isn't it? So Mm. I used to get an afternoon slump. Like after lunch for a couple of hours, that's when I would be in a tough place mentally in terms of how much energy I had. And since I started doing the cold showers, I noticed that disappeared completely. So for that reason alone, that sustained energy, I think that's really important. But also it creates momentum to do other hard things for the day. So those two things are really, really important. And then the next bit for me personally It's setting the expectation with my wife that I need 10 minutes to myself. And I think this is very important for people who have young kids and there's a lot of chaos in the house. 
It's going outside to get a little bit of sunshine and I write down what am I feeling gratitude for? So not what am I thinking gratitude for, what am I actually feeling gratitude for? And there's a very big difference. And as part of that routine, I also do my journaling. So what's unique about the last 24 hours? And I write down what three things I'm going to do today that will make today a win. They're never all related to the same thing. They're not all related to business. Maybe it's one about health, one about business, one about family. And it's just really useful to have that. So they are the most important parts of my morning routine. And then the nighttime routine, probably the biggest one would be the idea of the quote, never go to sleep without a request to your subconscious. So I always think about what can I do to get my subconscious to work for me while I'm sleeping? Excellent. I actually want to talk a bit more about subconscious a little bit later today. But a few things I was picking up from what you're telling us there is a real deliberate set of actions to get a desired outcome. You talked about energy, talked about how you feel, your motivation, just having the right mindset to really perform and win the day. And I think uh, too often we get into cruise mode and just wake up and choose anything for breakfast, switch on the news, fuel our mood with negative information from the papers that day. And we wonder why we don't have the energy and mindset we need to win the day. And so having a deliberate action, what are some of the outcomes you look for as far as energy, motivation, and how do you adjust your routine when you need those things? Yeah, it's a very simple question that I use whenever I'm faced with these decisions. It's, does this help me win? And Mm. what I've actually noticed is that my tolerance for things like alcohol has waned considerably Mm. as I've stepped more into being who I am. And it was really interesting because back in the day when I felt like I was drifting and didn't really have as much of a commitment, and it wasn't as clear in terms of my true self and you worry more about what other people are going to say about you. I don't care at all about what other people say about me anymore. Mm. I feel like I'm living my true self at the age of 40 more than I ever had at any point in that. And as a result of that, things like junk food, alcohol, people who are not great for my mindset, I just don't expose myself to those environments anymore. Things in terms of like traveling, that can be when it can be a little bit tough. So I think just recognizing that moving and creating movement can actually put you in a great mental headspace. So Mm. doing things like that are very, very important and just making sure that I can prioritize a a good quality sleep as much as possible. And again, being over here without my kids, it means that I'm feeling pretty well rested compared to what I usually feel like when I'm in LA. That does help. (laughs) Uh, Loving hearing this because what you're talking about is that it's up to you with your deliberate actions to be able to adjust how you feel day to day. And if you're waking up feeling a little bit lethargic, then your actions can change that. And also hearing from you that is that life changes all the time, whether it is travel, something different at work, a challenging relationship or your kids, then you will have a set of actions to adjust and accommodate that. Yeah. And the difference between process and motivation is very, very important. Everyone's waiting to feel good before they take a specific action. And you can use that at the start. Like if you commit to a course of actions and you say, you know what, I'm feeling a little bit of short-term motivation, that's when you can create the plan in terms of like setting the goals and really defining what your purpose is. Maybe it's a personal purpose, maybe it's a career purpose, maybe even a family purpose that you want to add in there. And once you have that little bit of momentum, that's when you revert back to process because motivation wanes for for everyone. I mean, look at your athletic career. I'm sure there were times when you didn't feel like training. Perhaps there might even have been some games where, actually, that would be interesting. Were there ever any games where you just felt, look, I'm I'm not feeling it 100% today in terms of the energy when you're running on the field? Absolutely. And that's why I've been really fascinated to talk to you, excited to talk to you because the strategies you've already talked about, the practices, they're not things that we think could make us feel good or they're a bit dubious or controversial. There's a lot of research gone to these things and they're evidence-based now. That's what happened we saw in sport is that our training schedule day to day, week to week would be influenced by the latest in sports science. 
at the time around 2014, 15, 16, sort of those years, there was some new information that got pushed out that said, if you're doing mindfulness practices, getting tools to relax, rewind, focus on what's important right now, that's good for recovery, which in turn is great for performance. If we're practicing uh, gratitude day to day, that's wonderful for our energy, our mood, and it's going to be good for performance as well. And so based on that research, that science, that got implemented, integrated into our training schedules. And so those couple of things, for instance, 8 a.m. every morning, every athlete in the team across the whole NRL, and a lot of clubs are still doing this today, would practice gratitude in the morning as their first thing to do for training. And then at lunchtime around 12 o'clock after their field session, every single player would do a guided meditation for 10 minutes as part of their training because those practices helped us feel and perform our best. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. And when you think about other domains that people are involved in, imagine someone like a special forces operator who has to do a high altitude, high opening jump into Africa. And if they get these things wrong, if they're not in the best state of mind, then their friends die, they could die. They've got to go and knock on the door of the families of the other people in their team. Like the stakes are very, very high. And that's why I'm so fascinated, not just in elite performance in terms of sports, but also in special forces, because to me, they are so well trained and the stakes are at the absolute highest. And I think that gives us a lot of motivation in terms of civilian life. We were talking a little bit offline about the challenges that people in these high stakes environments have once they get out of that team environment and they find themselves as a civilian and it's on them to find a mission and to find the right team. Because that journey of finding the right people who have like-minded values and just want to see each other succeed. I mean, relationships not only give us every single opportunity that we could hope to have, they also enable us to enhance every single experience we have in our time on the earth. Absolutely. And that's one thing we talk about, the advantage of being a part of a team, whether it's joining a sporting club, social club, church group, whatever team you want to join, is that during the tough times, you have lots of support around you to learn off and feel supported by But then during the good times, it's better. It's more fun. It's more exciting. You have other people to laugh with, thrive off, and really maximize that moment. Some of the things we've already talked about, clients and who uses these practices, they're like elite performers. But these self-care type practices that build energy motivation, they're for everyone in Australia, right? Huge. Whether you're a stay-at-home parent, billion-dollar founder, all of these things are very, very important. And I mean, we see people out there who are very successful in one area of their life, but not very successful in other areas of your life. And I think that's very, very sad to see someone who's like a billionaire living in a $50 million house, but has family who doesn't talk to them or someone who hasn't taken care of their health along the way. I think all of us have a very deep responsibility to be as good as we can in terms of the impact we want to have and maximizing our potential. Uh, Something that I talk a lot about is this idea of the gap, which is the difference between the performance that we all put in each day versus the performance we could be putting in each day based on our potential. And most people who fail to activate their winning life, they never come close to, to bridging that gap between their performance and their potential. So doing everything we can, which really comes back to the fundamentals that you're that you touched on. Everyone's looking for a, a magic pill. But at the end of the day, these foundational things are very, very important to start to attract and experience a lot of the great rewards in life. Yeah. And consistency is a big one that we talk about. One of our mental fitness building programs, 25 Days, 25 Plays, is designed to give people a step-by-step, but also consistent approach to building their mental fitness. Uh, rather than try this, try that, do it once or do it for a week even. The consistent approach is where we see long-term change that, that lasts. Yeah, it's so good. And you know, one thing I've done that's on a similar vein is the clients that I've worked with, I get them to send an audio message every single day for between three and four weeks 
just in terms of checking in to express their gratitude and appreciation for someone being in their life and just to reach out to see if there's anything that you can do to help them. And what that's going to do is not only create a much greater foundation for that friendship, they're going to turn around and say, what can I do to help you? Yeah. And on the condition that you've got a good answer to that question, you will bring in an enormous amount of opportunity into your life. Yep. So relationships, it sounds like it's a real big passion of yours, whether we're talking about personal or professional relationships. What are some strategies for people to really, well, maybe repair those if they're damaged, but also nurture the ones that we get that reciprocal value from? When it comes to creating relationships with people that you don't know already, I think it's a good place to start. You need to focus on what value that you can build into yourself because you need to offer value to these people. It's very difficult to be able to say, hey, can I pick your brain or take you out for a coffee? If you're trying to connect with really influential people, they just don't have time to be able to do that. But if you have a solution, if you can make the money, if you can save them time, if you can introduce great people to other great people, that is an enormous amount of value that you can provide and create credibility in that relationship. So that's something that's really important, first of all, is to make sure you have a lot of value. Having a platform is a great way to do that. It's why I'm so passionate about podcasting. You have a podcast. It's a great way of being able to reach out to people and say, look, I'd love to come here and share more about your story. It's an unbelievable way, probably the best way, I believe, to create and leverage those relationships. And when I mean leverage those relationships, I mean adding as much value as possible. For people out there who I hear a lot of people talk about, I have negative people in my family. What do I do about that? Yes, yes. And I think that's a really interesting one. So you either reduce your exposure to these people as much as you possibly can, which I know can be tough, especially if someone's younger and still living at home, but just greatly reduce the value and stock that you place in that person's opinion because the most important opinion is how you feel about yourself. And a lot of people need to remind themselves about that a lot more. Mm, absolutely. Control what you can control and try not to hold on to things that are out of control yeah, as ex- well. Exactly. And even just sending something simple like an audio message is such a great way of being able to do that. Yep. 30 seconds. It's so fast. Just to let someone know that you're thinking about them. If you can do that 300 times yep. in one year, which you should be able to do with all the people that we come into contact with, you're just genuinely curious about how someone is doing and what you can do to help. They'll turn around and say, what can I do to help you? The whole world opens up for that, but most people are afraid to ask. Yeah. It's a bit like the Wayne Gretzky quote, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I don't really have any fear of asking and that's led to a lot of great opportunity. I have a fear of sacrificing the credibility of some of the amazing friendships I've been able to create. So sometimes it can take me weeks, maybe even months or sometimes over a year or two before I figure out what the right ask is. We need to remember that the people in your network actually want to help you. The right people are desperate to help you, but if they don't know what help you need or that you actually need help, then they can't help you and they won't. Yeah. And relationships change personally, uh, professionally. I've got some good friends today that I went to school with, but weren't necessarily close with them at school. And we've lived separate lives for the last 10, 15 years, maybe. But then over the last five years, I've actually become really close to them. I've found that they've actually, they love fishing just like I do. And then that's our thing to do together. But then I've had other relationships that I was great friends with people in school, for example. And over the last few years, really separated myself from them. And if we think about how to nurture relationships, it's important to think of what both people bring to the party. Like what makes it a special relationship? Do you feel safe? happy, excited, engaged, listen to all those things. Think about what the other person does to make you feel that way and what you have to do in return as well, because it's never a one-way street. Absolutely. The best definition of friendship I've heard is a quote from Henry Ford. 
founder of the Ford car company, he said, my best friend is the one who brings out the best in me. Mm. And I think that's brilliant. We have a lot of people in our life who just because we happen to have gone to school with them or we happen to be in the same family as them, these are not the people that we necessarily need to be attaching our self-worth to. So I think recognizing who are the people in your life who can help you get to a higher level in terms of impact and stepping into your true self and what you can do to support those people. I love a good quote, so um, I promise to shut up about these quotes at some stage. (laughs) One of my favorite quotes, probably my favorite one of all time, is to the right people you can do no wrong, to the wrong people you can do no right. Yes. So if you're serving your community and your family and your business and your clients as your true self, then the right people are going to naturally gravitate towards that and the wrong people are naturally going to be repelled and that's totally fine, but most people are not okay with that. Yes, yes. And you can be a true self, they can be their true self and uh, respect differences too. Uh, When we do that, we find our rhythm. Like A great example I talk about in a workshop sometimes is my wife and I who work different in the ways that... I'm a big picture thinker and go, wow, imagine if we did this, we can do that. That'd be incredible. And she'll be like, oh, Dave, you're not (laughs) thinking about this, 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 and this. It's never going to work. And I'm like, just go with me, will you? And, uh, (laughs) And we used to clash a lot over that. And she couldn't see what I see and I couldn't see what she saw. But over time, we learned to respect those differences and how to work together to ultimately now find our rhythm. Yeah, I think that's so good. Like diversity is the cornerstone of every great team. I mean, look at every great sporting team. You need a fullback, you need a halfback, you need a hook, you need a prop. You've got all of these different roles in the team that all have the same mission. Yep. But you can't have a team of clones. It's just not going to be where you want to be. I was only talking to my son about this yesterday because he's one of the smallest players in the team playing rugby union. And he talked about the disadvantages of that. And I said, well, we've had some wonderful players in uh, state of origin level, Australian uh, kangaroo level, like say Cameron Smith. He's a dummy half. His strengths, kicking the ball well, crafty kicks, strategic kicks, giving great service to the people from dummy half, passing it to people who are running it, helping them have their best run, leadership, team direction, they're his strengths and he plays to those strengths. He doesn't try to smash the other player in defense or run over a player and attack because he can't really do that. That's not his strength. And so he plays those strengths. So I think for all of us, obviously not on the sporting paddock in general life, if we play to our strengths, we're going to get much more enjoyment out of it and life's going to feel more effortless as well. Yeah. And look at what he did to rise just the self-belief of the other players around him, both at the Queensland Origin team, the Australian football team, at the Storm as well. Yep. My favorite sporting story probably of all time is the Alfie Langer returning from the UK for State of Origin. That one is just such an incredible lesson because someone who was so small in stature, when he came into Origin and Rugby League, everyone's like, who is this guy? What, he's going to get destroyed on the field. Mm. And he made everyone around him a foot taller when they came on to QE2 to win game three. I just think that's such an incredible metaphor for life. Absolutely. He plays to his strengths. He's uh, the ultimate team bonder and motivator. So it was wonderful playing in teams where he was part of the coaching staff. I wanted to ask you a question around the subconscious. And I see you talk about this in your podcast. And I've recently started reading the book, Think and Grow Rich, which I know you're a big fan of. And speaking of the subconscious and that book, it's it's just, in my mind, fascinating how I came about reading it. And over the last couple of weeks, these things, I guess, have come onto my radar, maybe. And I was listening to a finance podcast and Noel Whitaker, your father, was on there talking about finances. And then I saw in our family calendar that my wife, Sonia, was going to the James Whitaker uh, lunch in a couple of weeks. And I thought, the James Whitaker lunch, that must be a relation to Noel. (laughs) And so I made that connection, of course. 
then at the same time, I was with my brother and he, he said, Dave, do you do much executive coaching and corporate coaching, that sort of thing, with elite athletes or CEOs? And I go, yeah, a little bit. And he goes, I reckon there's a big market for it. And then um, I checked out your profile and that's what you do. I was listening to your podcast and saw that you uh, love the Think and Grow Rich book. And then finally, I'm at Westfield a couple of days later, I walking past a bookstore there, just literally glanced at it for one second, I reckon. There's a hundred books on the stand. And what book do you reckon I spotted instantly? Never seen it before in my life. I saw Think and Grow Rich. And I was like, whoa, did that just happen? I picked <laughs> up the book and it's never been on my radar before. There's a hundred other books I could have spotted in that one second. And so I grabbed it, I bought it, and I'm about halfway through it. <laughs> now, it's no coincidence, is it? Can you talk us through the subconscious, putting things on your radar, retraining your brain to pay attention to what's important for us? Yeah, I think there's moments of serendipity, but it's also a big element of that when the student is ready, the master will appear. There are just some things because we've gone through a natural evolution in life that finally we're ready to sort of embark on a new chapter or a new journey. The subconscious mind is very, very important because most people are in environments they are going to bring out the worst in them. If you look at someone who's got clutter everywhere or they're around people who all they do is talk negative about other people, one of my great realizations in this win the day mentality and all the people, you know, I've interviewed more than 500 people of all different backgrounds, core tenet of Think and Grow Rich is that the exact same amount of energy you use to complain about what you don't have can be transmuted to create the circumstances you want. The exact same amount of energy. We're not trying to manufacture extra time. We're redirecting energy. We're manipulating environments. We're using things like performance imagery to be able to create the circumstances you want. And there are so many ways to do that. One of the first ways is just to take a look at a foundation of where you're at in life. Say, am I happy? Like, what are these things in my life in terms of fitness and health and my marriage and my friendships? Uh, financial situation. How happy am I in all of these different areas? And then what are the actions, habits, and thoughts that I have engaged in? What negative thoughts have I connected to that have created these circumstances? And if you've done a really good job in terms of you're happy with where you're at, then you can use that to build on that momentum. And if you're not happy with where you're at, that should be a catalyst for you to start making some change. And that's when we look at, again, some of the basics with, with all of this stuff. We look at the environment in terms of literally all of the areas where you spend the most time, do they motivate you? Are they bringing you to a higher game or are they reducing your ability and self-belief? The people that you hang around, are they bringing you to a higher game or are they doing the opposite? The thoughts that you're having, are they bringing you to a higher game? All of these things, the books that you read, I mean, every single book that I've read, every single one has changed my life in one way or another. Most people don't even read books. They don't listen to podcasts. They don't do all of these different things. The solution to every problem you could possibly ever have is already written down. The answer is already there. Mm. You just have to go and find it and spend a little bit of time doing that. Even 20 minutes every single day would make an enormous impact on someone's life. And then right before you go to bed, again, this is just thinking about what is an opportunity that you want to attract? What is a solution that you would like to a problem you already have? Or what is a connection? Like who is someone that you want to meet? Just plant that seed in your mind before you go to sleep. And when your body is asleep and your brain is at its most efficient, that's when it can get to work on creating this reality for you. But it only works if we link it with things like feeling gratitude and writing down what we want and making sure we're conscious not to attach to some of these negative thoughts that we're having along the way. Yeah, fueling your mood essentially, yeah. deliberately. It's so amazing how powerful the brain is 
when I talk about practicing gratitude, I try and put into relatable stories for our participants. And we work with like working class people who love camping and fishing and so on. And I was telling them recently that I love an annual Fraser Island fishing trip. And we drive up every September, October and do a bit of tailor fishing, camping and so on. And last year, one of our friends, he came up with a brand new Nissan Patrol. It was beautiful. It had a V8 engine, leather seats, lithium battery in the back that connected to this app on his phone. It was, it was pretty high tech compared to my car. <laughs> and I loved it. Took it for a drive. It carved up the sand. Wonderful car. I thought, when I get back, will my wife let me drive one of these cars and <laughs> let me buy one? Probably not, but I'll try. Uh, and anyway, uh, I was driving home on the highway uh, from Rainbow Beach and probably for the next week this happened. I'd never really seen these patrols on the road before. Never paid attention to them, I guess. But all of a sudden, after spending that week, looking at this car, talking about it, driving it. All of a sudden, I spotted one of these patrols. I was like, oh, there's one of those patrols like my mates. And then about five minutes later, I went, oh, there's another one of those patrols like my mates. And then about maybe 20 minutes later, there's another one of these. Have there always been this many patrols on the road or have I just started paying attention? And I think the things you're just talking about and and I'm talking about is, is how we can train our brain to pay attention to things that are important for us rather than Googling conspiracy theories and pushing that into subconscious so we pay attention to that. We want to fuel in a positive way that creates energy, motivation, confidence. Yeah, that's a very interesting lesson and reminder, I think, for everyone. I think it's also important to remember that just as you can think and grow rich, you can also think and grow poor. Yeah. So before I sort of hit my rock bottom moment around the age of about 23, I didn't understand that whole concept of thinking and growing rich. And what I was doing at the time was thinking and growing poor. I didn't care about the food I ate. I was drinking too much, staying out late, hanging out with people who probably weren't great in terms of my development. And I wasn't thinking about what skills that I could acquire, what value I could provide to other people. And as I started getting more of a victim to this debilitating anxiety battle that hit me, which is so interesting just to even reflect on in terms of how different I am as a person now, I was willing these negative circumstances. I was creating that negative reality. And most of us don't take any accountability for the situation they're in. And that means we don't empower ourselves to be able to get out of that situation. That's why I love messages. You hear people like Jocko Willing talk about extreme ownership. Mm. I want to find more. Like, What else can I be accountable and responsible for? Because it means that I'm more empowered to be able to elevate my circumstances. Absolutely resonates with me. On this podcast, we've had an AFL star, Lockie Henderson, and we talked about giving and receiving feedback, how you process it. Do you process well, constructive feedback, negative feedback as feeling attacked and maybe feel worthless and you're not sure what to do next? Or do you use it as an opportunity to grow and it makes you a better player, maybe person, makes your career more secure because how you process is going to determine what you do next. Yeah, that difference so. between like the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. Mm. Yeah, it's so important. And even in our personal relationships, like a lot of us, we give our best selves to the workplace. So when we come home, we're tired and we're stressed and we're frustrated. We've got kids to deal with. Maybe there's a bit of a battle in the marriage in terms of contributions. Has yep. someone made dinner and the other person hasn't cleaned up like they promised they would or they yep. haven't taken the bins out? And it's easy for us to feel attacked in that situation. But if we can take that as information rather than an attack, mm. just because someone has directed something like that, there's a lot of complexity in that situation. Maybe we're bringing stress and frustration and irritability, and that's determined our reaction rather than response. Maybe the other person is feeling an enormous amount of pressure as well. So by us taking things personally and automatically as an attack, all that does is inflame the situation. And that should be the very last thing we want to do. We want to make sure that we can keep things pretty chill so it doesn't get to that point. Yeah, I, I agree. So those sorts of confrontations and 
or just really people you've worked with in the past who might be a bit resistant to change, not like opposing views and so on, and maybe not want to open up their mind to see and do things differently. How do you coach them? How does your coaching style change to really help those resistant people? Really good question. I think it's my nature. I love to help people. It's not me patting myself on the back. It's just something that I love to do. And that's put me in a bit of a jam at at different stages in my life. Because especially if you're in, say, a business partnership or there are other people that you're close with, when instinctively you want to lift these people up, sometimes the byproduct of that is that they end up pulling you down. That doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means that that's what's happened. So I've been in that situation several times, which has put me into a pretty dark depression because that negative energy has brought me down when all I was trying to do was to lift those people up. And then I interviewed a guy called John Asaraf, who was the star of the 2006 film, The Secret. And I posed a similar question to him that you asked me. And he said, help the people who want the help, not Mm. the people who need the help. Mm. And I thought that was such an interesting thing to do. Instead of trying to lift everyone up, let's find the people who have proven through their actions already that they're committed to change. And everyone else, when they're ready, once they have some type of trigger point, that's when we can help them. But if you're trying to help everyone, all that's going to happen is they end up pulling you down. You're going to end up at burnout very, very quickly. So that was a very big difference for me. In terms of adjusting coaching styles, there are so many different things. There are some people that I do audio-only calls with rather than Zoom because they think a lot better and a lot more creatively once we take out that video element. Some people prefer lengthy notes in terms of what we covered in the session and next steps. Other people prefer only one big thing to focus on before we move into the next thing. So it really depends on each person. But I will say that every single person that I've worked with could do a much greater job at getting clear on who they are and where they want to go. Yeah. So the people that I work with, maybe they're Olympic gold medalists in the past, maybe they're former special forces operators, maybe they've had massive success in their companies and and even leading big companies at the moment, but they still feel like they're treading water or they're not living with purpose or with passion. It's because they're not clear on who they are and they're not clear on where they want to go. And we should always have a very good answer to those two questions, no matter what stage of life we're in. I love it. Yeah. One thing I'd personally like to do to keep me open-minded and everything we're talking about is challenge my thought processes and my learnings, see opposing views to things. And uh, one thing I I talked to uh, Peter from Fuel Your Life, who's been on this podcast, uh, we talked about it's hard to cut through the clutter with social media. For nutrition, for example, there'll be influencers or podcasts out there that say you should only eat meat. If you have a piece of broccoli, you're probably going to drop dead. (laughs) Uh, And then these vegan podcasts who say if you eat just a little tiny bit of meat, your head might fall off. (laughs) And, uh, And they make these compelling cases. They state research that we've never heard of, we'll never check up on, but it sounds very, very, very legitimate. Yeah. And there's conflicting research as well out there on a lot of these things as yeah. well. Yeah. And, but by listening to these uh, opposing views, it's really helped me understand that it's up to us what we do with that information. As you sort of touched on there, we don't need to feel offended by it or belittled or inadequate from feedback or opposing views. But if we take it as information to learn from, we might not agree with it all. We might not use it all, but it will help us grow eventually to be a, a bigger, better person. Yeah, absolutely. And people in a coaching role, 
the goal is not to give people more information. We mm. have, I think more information was created in 2022 than there was in any mm. other, like for the rest of history combined, which is a crazy statistic. Yep. People don't want information. They want transformation. So if you're a coach, you need to help someone with implementation. And if that means removing a massive amount of the information that you have to give them, then that's a great thing to do. Yep. And also training people with the ability to ask themselves the right questions is very, very powerful as well. Whereas most people give ourselves answers to questions that should never have been asked in the first place. Like, I'm just bad at this is an answer to a question like, why am I going to fail? And that's a question that should never be asked. It's like, what can I do to give myself the best chance of success in this? It's like, I'm launching a business. What can I do to make sure it's a $1 million business within the first three years? Mm. And then finding people to be able to do that. And you can apply that to any goal that you have. Yeah. And I think that mindset helps relieve the anxiety that comes around, say, starting your own business. If you can have a structured plan, ask for support, advice, take steps towards that. When things don't go to plan, use your strengths to recover, ask for help to recover. And it reduces a lot of the anxiety around that. For sure. There's a podcast I did with a guy called Dr. Jeff Spencer, who I've got to connect you with. He's an amazing guy. If you don't don't know him, he's based in America, but uh, he was boots on the ground for, I think, nine separate Tour de France. He's coached more than 40 Olympic gold medalists. Uh, He's an incredible guy. He's the coach for people like Bono from, from U2. And he talks about the champion's golden rule. First, you prepare and then you perform. And most people greatly underestimate how much preparation is required to succeed. Yeah. It's a very, and I, you would have seen it firsthand in, in your domain with the other people, the, you know, the people who are first to training, last to leave, the people who have that work ethic and that competitive spirit. Like, what are you doing to prepare behind the scenes so when the lights are on and it's the last couple of minutes in the game, you can turn it on? Well, all the things we talked about to start with some of those helpful practices you do or other people can do, that, that's the preparing, right? That's mm-hmm. the preparing to, to win the day as, as you talk about. And, and it's important to see those tasks for the bigger picture of why you're doing them because otherwise they can feel like a chore and they might be a little bit harder to do than usual on some days. But if we can make them sort of non-negotiables and make sure that you're aware of the bigger picture, then it makes it much easier to do on those off days. I know uh, with sport during my time, there was a huge shift in our training schedules because of sports science, where instead of rocking up to training at, uh, well, maybe 6.30 in the morning, training 7 till 12 roughly, and then going straight home, all the science was more prominent around sleep and recovery and performance. And so actually training didn't start till 10 then. And uh, we wouldn't get there at 10, we'd get there at 9 to do stretching muscle activations, strapping, uh, little things to make sure that we reduce the risk of injury during training. And then uh, lastly, at the end of the day, we didn't just um, trot off home or anything like that. We stuck around and did 30 to 60 minutes, sometimes more of recovery. So ice baths, stretching, massage, physio, all those things would set us up to perform our best the next day. And uh, of course, at the start, it was like, whoa, are you adding another hour or two to our day? (laughs) Another (laughs) five, six, seven tasks to our day? I'm already stressed as it is, or I'm already (laughs) overworked as it is. But then we got the benefits. And when I first started, a lot of players were retiring around 28, 29 because of injury. But because of this sports science, these new practices, players started retiring at 34, 36, 37, I think Petro and Lockie were 37, Steve Price. So they got to do a job that they loved for longer and earn more money at the same time. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And you know, the state of origin during the golden years when we won eight in a row, which I know you're uh, very familiar with. Obviously, I wasn't there behind the scenes in terms of being involved in that team and that dynamic, but I would suspect 
the focus was not on overloading people with information or trying to train them in terms of skill development. It was probably around, again, if I had to take a guess, in terms of bonding as a team to understand that camaraderie and the role of the individual. So every single person knew what needed to be done. And you get a lot of a lot of coaches who try and just overload in terms of the instructions. What does someone need to do? You can't run out on the field trying to remember fifty different <laughs> different That's things. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too it's too difficult. Yeah. Well, Melbourne Inga, he coached our Maroons team during my time. And what he was wonderful at was not so much developing the game plan and the strategy so much, but was uh, the intent, the belief, the passion that uh, when you put that Maroons jersey on, you would play your guts out, break yourself. Uh, knowing how much it meant for the whole state. And so that really bypassed any lack of motivation you might have day to day <laughs> is listening to Mel talk. Uh, so he was, in my opinion, one of the best motivators I've ever heard. Yeah. Did you did you find that a coach raising their voice at halftime was useful or not? Yeah, I think... I know there are some coaches who can't help it. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel yeah. like it's come back a bit in terms yeah. of it's like, hey, let's just connect with the person individually or, or as a team rather than trying to yell at them so they feel a little bit belittled in front of the whole group. Yeah, all players are different in how they respond to that. I know good coaches save themselves to just do the yelling moments every now and then. Otherwise, it loses its effectiveness, right? And it's interesting because Craig Bellamy, who's one of the most successful coaches, is also known as having the best blow-ups. <laughs> yeah, he really rips into the players. But I've always heard from the Storm players that they take it as he cares so much, not as he's so angry against you or has it in for you and like that, is that he cares so much for you and wants the best out of you. So it's really well received in their culture. Yeah, I love that. It's a bit like Wayne Bennett. The, the best coaches that I admire around the world in any discipline are the ones who care so much about the individual first. Mm. And that's what I think is, is missing a lot from business is they care about the business and profits first rather than the individual and what the individual brings to the team and how the team can create more profits by helping create more client transformation. Yes. It's like we've got it all backwards. Yes. Well, I'm mindful of your time. Uh, you're only in Australia for a short period of time. You've got a big event tomorrow that I'm going to with my wife. I can't wait to, uh, to be there in attendance. Thanks for coming and talking about how you win the day and how you help other people win the day. Hopefully, our listeners heard some wonderful strategies. And uh, if they want to hear more, they can tune into your Win the Day podcast. I've been listening to myself flat out over the last week or two, and, and I'm really enjoying it. And enjoy the rest of your trip. Yeah, love it. Thanks so much for having me on, Dave. Cheers. Thank you very much to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Prime Effect podcast. This episode was brought to you by the Wealth Depot, experts in financial planning. This episode was also brought to you by SW Brokerage. If you're looking for a new home loan, car loan, commercial loan, then SW Brokerage are the people to talk to. And lastly, this episode is also brought to you by Fuel Your Life, the nutrition and dietetics specialist helping humans fuel their lives. See you next time.